This podcast is brought to you by Shift Management Supervisory Leadership Certificate Course, where online learning and live web coaching bring out the very best in frontline and middle managers. Move from operations to management thinking and develop the skills for leadership, reaching your company goals at the same time. Check out our Supervisory Leadership Certificate Course on the shiftworkplace.com website today. Today on the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast, I'm very excited to tell you about my guest, Mike McApinlack, who is someone who started out as a structural designer, and he was kind of shy, and then he became an internationally known podcast host and speaker, author of four books, and most importantly, his clients get results. And what they get results for, he's going to tell us a little bit more about when we start doing the interview. So he teaches shy guys who are technically skilled to improve their social competence. And who doesn't know somebody who needs that? I think we all do. We all need somebody who needs that. And there are lots of shy people with technical uh, competence who don't really know how they can deal with the social aspect. And so Mike is going to tell us a little bit about how he coaches people to do that. His work has been featured in the Calgary Herald, on Breakfast Television, on Shaw TV, and in the Huffington Post. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the kind intro. So I always like to start by asking my guests if they would fill in a little bit more about themselves, give us some background so the listeners have an idea of who you are. Sure. So I I think everyone listening in this podcast has heard of the saying, you know, in life, it's not what you know, but who you know. Unfortunately, we were never taught that skill, right? From my experience and the experiences of the clients that I've worked with, a lot of us have been conditioned to, you know, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, and everything else will be taken care of. Especially for me, I grew up in a very traditional Asian family where academic success was really emphasized. You know, my my mom told me that if I went to school and I got really good grades and I made a lot of money, then the girls will just come, right? My dad told me that, uh, you know, like once I have a high paying job, you know, I can buy all these things. And you know what, like maybe that advice worked in their generation, you know, in the um, industrial age, so to speak. But I feel like we live in a, in a different generation now where technical competence isn't enough in order to not just live a successful life, but also a fulfilling life. Because at the end of the day, it's people that make everything worthwhile, right? You know, like we talk to people every day, whether you're applying for a new job, you're asking for a raise, you're trying to make friends in a brand new city, or you're asking out a potential romantic interest to go on a first or second date with you. We need to be able to communicate ourselves effectively. If not, then our life will be pretty boring and lonely, right? And that's why I'm very passionate about the work that I do. And uh, kind of like what you mentioned, I moved here. Uh, I immigrated to Canada when I was 17 years old with my family. And my first few years in a brand new country was really difficult because I didn't speak English back then. Number two, I suffered from really bad social anxiety. As a matter of fact, back in high school, I used to eat my lunch in a bathroom stall. And my career choice didn't help my case. You know, kind of like what you mentioned, I work as a structural designer. And for everyone listening right now who knows someone in that industry, you know, like they're called STEM. So STEM is an acronym that stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. You know, you can kind of empathize and, you know, see how isolating that type of work could be, right? They're staring in front of the computer, you know, like minimum, you know, six hours a day, right? Eight hours a day. And they're paid based on their technical expertise. They're not really paid to be social and charismatic, right? So a lot of them, they just lack practice and lack of awareness. 
And that's why I struggled socially and my coaching clients also struggle socially. So my business provides social skills training to help these shy guys who are technically skilled because they want to create a meaningful connection. Being social is a learnable skill and with the right knowledge and uh, guidance, then anyone can become socially confident. So tell us a little bit about what it's like for people that are technically skilled to just venture out into the social world. What kinds of issues do they have? Well, a lot of them, you know, again, these are all anecdotal. Um, I've been working with these types of clients for a number of years now. And a lot of them have very similar experiences where a typical day for them, you know, if you can imagine what a computer programmer or software engineer would be doing, you know, they would sit in front of the computer, right? Um, designing blueprints, coding, that kind of stuff, you know, between six to maybe sometimes even 10 hours per day. And because of that, and, and also they're paid based on their technical expertise. They're not really paid to be social and charismatic and talkative. So throughout their week, they just don't have a lot of practice socializing, not to mention the lack of awareness and education that they got regarding this topic because when you go to school you, you know whether it's engineering or, or programming or anything technically related it's very focused on acquiring hard skills right not a whole lot of education is uh, given regarding developing soft skills you know it, it's just like driving a car right if you've never been taught how to drive a car and you sit in a vehicle obviously you're not going to be able to operate the thing because no one taught you how. And just like taking driving lessons, anybody who's struggling socially with the right knowledge and guidance and, experience and enough repetition can also become socially confident. And that's really important for leadership because there is nobody that's in any kind of a leadership position that can't interact with people. It just doesn't happen. I mean, they interact with people in their own way, with their own style, but they are comfortable doing that. Exactly. And so you came from the Philippines, right? Yes. And people might be surprised to know that you didn't speak English because a lot of people that come from the Philippines are already fluent or semi-fluent in English. But that was not the case for you and your family? Well, I learned how to write and read. I just never had any opportunity to speak. So I came here and, you know, very inexperienced speaking English because I just never had a whole lot of opportunity. But, you know, we did watch a lot of media back home in English. So I understood what they were saying. I just never spoke it. Yeah, I've worked with a lot of supervisors in industry from the Philippines. It's the same thing. They understand a lot, but they actually haven't been called upon to speak in English. And so they didn't develop the speaking skills so much. But their understanding is great. Exactly. And it's also tough to immigrate when you're 17 because that's sort of a fragile age. Yeah. Well, I moved here and I had to go back to high school. I was, I was already doing engineering back in the Philippines when I came to Canada, just because of the educational system here, it's a little bit different than where I'm from. They had to move me back to high school, even though I've done four semesters of engineering already. Wow, that's crazy. That must have really felt awful. It is what it is. It was fun to go to prom the second time, so that wasn't so bad. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you can share a couple of incidents from your childhood that you think made you into the person you are today. Yeah, so kind of like what I mentioned earlier, you know, like I was really just conditioned to to focus on acquiring the hard skills, like getting good grades in school, you know, getting a good job, making lots of money. And I totally neglected my own personal development. You know, a lot of the work that I've done has been to um, move my career, you know, my, my professional development moving forward. But I, ha I hadn't done any work on emotional management, you know, like taking care of my mental health communicating myself effectively. That was a big one. And as a result, you know, when I came to Canada, the first few years was just really tough. You know, like no one taught me how to assimilate, you know, very similar to immigrants who come here, you know, like I, I just got stuck with 
uh, working low paying jobs just because that's what everybody else was doing. And then it wasn't until I started reading personal development books that I was able to understand that, you know, like, oh, like I can change the way I think or I don't have to be stuck in this position. So from the groups that you were born into, can you say what might have influenced your sense of culture? Because uh, we always bring culture with us everywhere that we go. We bring our roots with us and also whatever we've learned. So what would you say has influenced the way you see the world? So I would say that my upbringing really influenced me. You know, like I grew up in a very respectful and loving and um, hospitable culture. So, you know, very friendly, respectful to elders, you know, stuff like that. Very accommodating with other people, you know, to a fault. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm too nice and would uh, go over and beyond to make other people happy. So that was uh, that was an interesting trait that I developed. So like I had to almost learn how to kind of pull myself back a little bit and establish boundaries, you know, especially living in uh, Canada now, right? And, you know, I've, I've been, I work from home. I, I've traveled and lived in many different parts of North America. And it's so interesting to see the dynamic and culture that every city has, you know, from staying in Austin, Texas to living in Toronto, Canada, Vancouver, you know, LA, New York, like, they're all so different. I think it's really important to understand who you are and your identity and your culture, but at the same time, not being afraid to expand, you know, and, and uh, assimilate because at the end of the day, if you want to create connections with the people around you, you need to understand where they're coming from as well and uh, adapt some of the things that they do if you want to be accepted and fit in in a good way. People often don't like to use that word assimilate, but when you think about it, it comes from the word similar. And you usually have friends with people you have something similar with. If you meet somebody, you have absolutely nothing in common with them. It's very probably impossible that you ever have a friendship with them. So something exactly. has to become similar. It doesn't mean, mean everything needs to be similar, but some things you need to develop similarities with. And that, that involves some adapting for sure. So I, you would say then that being hospitable, being friendly, uh, being accommodating, that those are all traits that you brought with you, right? respectful too. Like I noticed that at least the Filipinos that I know are very respectful with their elders and everyone around them. So very, very much so. And so then what about groups that you joined? So for example, there would be professional groups, there would be even the podcasting group, there'd be other kinds of groups they've joined or cultures that you lived in, in different cities and different states and places in, in North America. There would be some things that you probably adopted into the way you did things and for sure. So like, again, growing up, you know, like I didn't know that there were other options, you know, like I thought that, you know, you go to school, you work for 40 years and then you retire at 65, right? That was like the idea that was presented upon predominantly when I was growing up. And then as I became parts of many diverse groups, you know, I started to understand that there's other ways of going about life and uh, even career, you know, like, like I tell people what I do, especially in my community, they're all like, how did you get into that? Like, did you go to school for that? Or like, did you get any training for that certification? Like, they just can't wrap their head around that you can have the type of career that I have, right? And in my social circle, it's fairly common to be able to transform your expertise and your life experience in a service that, that'll enhance other people's lives, you know, publishing books, you know, having a YouTube channel, creating an online course, stuff like that. That was very different. That was very uh, uh, foreign with my, you know, like Filipino friends, but with my other friends who I'm, you know, I'm part of many entrepreneur groups, that's like the norm, you know, everyone's doing it and succeeding. So how did you get started in doing this online business? Because you, you started with personal development, you were reading books and you started to make some changes and you must have seen some results yourself first, right? Yes. And so what kinds of results did you see? What changed? 
Yeah, so I went from just being the guy who felt like I was always missing out and not being able to partake in, in many different social activities. You know, like I'd be the guy who was, would stay at home on a Friday, Saturday night, wishing I couldn't go out and, and uh, mingle with people. I didn't have a lot of close friends. <laughs> My dating life was non-existent. You know, after a few years of like solid focus, determination and hard work, and also mentorship from other experts that know their stuff to, you know, becoming more outgoing, socially confident, influential. Like today, I have friends all over North America. I can go to any different city and know someone there or build a social circle from scratch. I've had um, amazing uh, romantic relationship with incredible women, you know, that, that have added so much value into my life and also my professional connection. You know, I'm friends with very influential people that have connections and resources that can help me, you know, move forward in any direction that I want to with a simple text or phone call or Facebook message. Mm-hmm. So from your own personal development, you started to see ways that you could outreach and offer this expertise as a service. And that became the basis of what you did. And then you learned all the techniques of the trade, which probably were not that hard for you because you already had that background in structural design, right? Well, my background in structural design just allowed me to learn things systematically. Like I feel like compared to other people who are either building a business or learning a new skill, my background in engineering has allowed me to see the, uh, the bigger picture and the overall picture and be able to organize it in a very systematic way so that I rarely feel overwhelmed and, and I can approach things, you know, like um, in the right order and learn things at the, at the right time and do things at, at the right time. Mm-hmm. So from temperament and personality, temperament you're born with, personality you've acquired over time, would you say it's your temperament to be systematic and methodical or is that something that you acquired? I feel like I was born with it initially, but knowing that was one of my uh, strengths, I was able to rely on it more and capitalize on it and been able to, I've been also been more selective with the types of people that I ask help with because I know that, uh, you know, for example, I would say like sometimes I tend to be very systematic, which means that I'm not always super spontaneous, you know? So with the spontaneity part, you know, I tend to rely on other people who are very spontaneous and love doing new things and novel experiences and stuff. Um, and then, you know, when they hang out with me, a lot of them have mentioned that I'm like the, the voice of reason, you know, I provide order and uh, organization with a lot of the things that they're confused about. So it's a win-win for, for both of us. Probably, I'm just guessing, but probably you feel comfortable being spontaneous within a structure. I agree. You know what? That's actually a really good point. Yes. If it's scheduled, then I can be spontaneous. Yeah, because you seem very spontaneous right now. And it's a structure of something that you're familiar with and you know what to expect. So you can be free within that structure. Exactly. Exactly. Anything else that you would say you were born with that you bring to who you are? Uh, definitely hard work. You know, I feel like that's a very cultural thing. You know, I grew up in poverty. I grew up in a small farm back in the Philippines where we didn't have running water, we didn't have constant electricity. I'm no stranger to hard work. I lived in a hut with four other families, right? And I was the oldest out of all my cousins. And, uh, you know, I'd be the first guy to wake up and, you know, take two empty buckets to the well. You know what I mean? Like get water, bring it back to the the household and stuff like that. So I feel like, you know, hard work is something that I'm not uh, afraid of. And uh, I feel like that's why I've lasted as long as I have, you know, with reverse running my business. Because even though, again, I wasn't born with a lot of natural talents, my ability to organize things and also my persistence and hard work, I feel like has taken me a long way. And your ability to take on responsibility. Yes. Because if you were the oldest with, of all of those cousins, 
and you're the first person up. And so people would expect you to be responsible, but you also then accepted that mantle of responsibility and said, yes, that's who I am. I am a responsible person. Totally. So what would you say has changed as you evolved in your personality? What have you adopted? Yeah, so I, definitely these days I feel a lot more vulnerable and open. I'm able to tap into every parts of my emotions. The old me would have just repressed feelings and say I'm fine or I'm okay and never speak up. Um, I tend to be, I'm not a very, very confrontational person. So sometimes um, even, you know, I, I want peace and order and that comes with a price, right? Sometimes, you know, I, I've been taken advantage of in the past. I've been guilty of people pleasing. So I feel like now I'm, again, because of my ability to communicate myself and also be able to manage my emotions well, you know, I'm able to um, speak my mind in a way that still builds relationships instead of, you know, offending people and coming across as someone, you know, crass or insensitive. It seems to me that you're very self-reflective. And that self-reflection, I'm not sure if you had that earlier or if that's just become bigger and better or if it's something that you just adopted as you realized that what you already knew wasn't serving you. That's a good point. So I've definitely taken a lot of personal development courses. And again, you know, like with the environment that I was a part of, journaling was a big practice that they had. Throughout my life, I've always had an accountability partner of some sort. So I always learn from other people who are better, smarter, and more experienced than me in one way, shape, or form. And uh, a journaling practice was passed on to me when I was living in Vancouver. This was about, you know, five years ago. And that journaling practice were in the morning, I would meditate um, to practice my gratitude. And then middle of the day, like I'll, I'll write about my lessons, my wins, and then end, end the day with gratitude. And I just some, some freestyle writing. I've been doing that fairly consistently. I say like 98, 99 percent of the time. And I feel like um, that's allowed me to really develop a high sense of self-awareness because there's something therapeutic when you write something with your hand, not just type it, right? And also you have the ability to go back to a few months ago and see how much you've changed and like what you were thinking back then. And, you know, progress is, is so encouraging when you can see it. You can see your progress and you can also see patterns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think people often forget that they've made progress. And if you're journaling, you can see where that progress is. Yeah. It's a great practice to recommend and continue to do. And I like the way you explained it too. So can Thank you recall a time when you, uh, you were aware that you're, there probably are lots of them, but aware that your cultural understanding of a situation was not what everybody else did? For sure. So again, like um, I'm just referring to my culture, you know, being Filipino, uh, things happen a lot earlier back home. You know, like a lot, of my, a lot of my cousins who are younger than me, right? Like during the time of this recording, I'm 33, I'll be 34 in August next month. And my cousins are like, you know, still in their 20s. And they already have like kids, right? You know, two, three kids, stuff like that, you know, married. And, and, and you know, they're just following tradition, you know, following what they were taught to believe growing up. And, and I feel like I learned for myself that that's not normal for everybody. Like, and I have a choice if I want to take a different path, you know, like, let's say, instead of raising a family, I'd rather start a business for now, you know, or, or maybe if I want to start a family, I can do it a little bit later on in my life. I don't have to do it <laughs> at 21 or something, you know? So like, I think it's important to be able to think for yourself and make a decision what's right for you, not because that's what your culture believes in or your parents or your religion or whatever. So about questioning tradition and not just accepting it blindly is what you're saying, right? Absolutely. 
But what I'm talking about is a little bit more vulnerable. So you were talking about being vulnerable before. Is For example, I lived in Japan for several months and I had this idea that I was easily adaptable to any type of diet, that I could just go to a country and I would just enjoy the food. And mm -hmm. I had a complete breakdown, a food breakdown. After six weeks in, I couldn't eat any of the Japanese food without throwing up. And I was just so ashamed of myself. I thought, man, this is terrible. And then the way people interacted in Japan, I just couldn't seem to get used to it. And I thought I was doing okay. And I was learning that offset my Japanese stopped. I couldn't remember the Japanese. I, I was thrown up from the food and I couldn't interact with anybody. And I thought, you know what? I thought I was adaptable, but you know what? There's a point where I'm adaptable and then I'm not anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what I learned from the Japanese was to just wait, observe, be respectful. And I spent a lot of time doing that. And that was a whole system shock for me. Have you experienced anything like that? I would say, yes. I would say like just three to four years being in North America, you know, because I, I feel like the culture here is a lot different compared to the Philippines. You know, dating, for example, right? That's actually a really good example because back home, let's say like I like a woman, you know, how we go about doing that is I ask her parents for permission to court her, you know, <laughs> and in North America, that's not how you do things, right? So dating was something that's really interesting for me to learn. You know, like it's very different than what I was used to. Same with making friends, right? Like, uh, um, and, and even the way we like guys communicated here, it's very different than the way we communicated back home. So, you know, very similar to what you said, I had to observe and pay attention to how people did things. If I wanted to uh, assimilate and be able to connect with these people, because I live in Canada now, I feel like a lot of people, when they move to a new country, they stick within their own little bubble, right? And they never expand out of that. But that wasn't the experience that I wanted. So yeah, I, I had to pay attention to how people did things around me. That's great. So I was going to ask you about um, connections uh, between leadership and culture. So really, you have become a leader in the field. Like you become a thought leader. You have practical tips for people. Um, you're able to earn a living entirely based on the expertise that you learned for how to develop confidence. And so, you know, how does that relate? Like how, how have you become a leader in the field, would you say? So a lot of my students who enroll in my program, I feel like they really resonate with my story. So again, that's when vulnerability comes into play where I've been able to embrace, you know, parts of my past that I initially thought were embarrassing. And I've been able to use those stories to level with people, to relate with people, to make them feel like, wow, like uh, what they're going through is totally normal and they don't have to be stuck in that situation. So I feel like my culture has given me a unique point of view and uh, an, almost an edge in, in my marketplace because, you know, a lot of people who are teaching social skills and people skills and stuff, you know, they're, they're from North America, right? You know, tall, white, you know, blonde or brunette, whatever, you know, and, and they have very valid perspectives. However, there are nuances, you know, especially from people from India or Philippines or China, Vietnam, that only another immigrant can understand. So I feel like my culture has provided me with a unique perspective and point of view in my space, which, you know, has allowed me to attract a very specific demographic. And quite frankly, there's a lot of them, right? There's a big, uh, uh, the pie is big and everyone can have their own slice. I think that's great. The way you talked about being self-aware and understanding what gifts your culture and your background give to you is what really you have to offer to the world. And that there are many other people that will identify with that. And uh, the immigrant experience is something that 
if you haven't immigrated anywhere and you've never had to find work somewhere and if you haven't had to negotiate your place in the world, you do not know what you're talking about when it comes to giving advice to people. Like you just, you just don't know. You've got a narrow experience that's really based on you being um, in control of your world. And uh, you, know, you don't have to adapt. Other people adapt to you. Really not the same thing. Exactly. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So um, it's, I want to hear a little bit more about the confidence building program, coaching courses that you offer to people. And tell me also a little bit more about your demographic that you were mentioning. Sure. So the program that I created is uh, specifically made for STEM professionals. So like what I mentioned earlier, STEM is an acronym that stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. I find that that demographic has invested a big portion of their lives, you know, acquiring technical skills. And as a result, they've totally neglected their soft skills. And I've experienced that firsthand, you know, like again, being an immigrant and also working in the industry myself. So my program um, is 12 weeks long. It's called the Social Confidence Blueprint. The goal of the program is to teach STEM professionals the fundamentals of what it takes to become socially confident. So, and there's five parts to it. You know, the first part is mastering your mindset, right? So setting clear goals, understanding your limiting beliefs and, you know, developing a positive self-image. The second part of the program is creating a great first impression. You and I both know that you never get a second chance to make a fantastic first impression, right? And you're in control of the types of messages that you send based on your body language, your vocal tonality, and also the way you dress, right? The third thing, part of the program is uh, managing anxiety. So understanding, you know, like how to control yourself emotionally, calm yourself down in social situations that would otherwise be uncomfortable. So like an interview, networking event, a first date, so and so on and what so forth. And then the fourth part, which a lot of my students love, is we talk about storytelling. You know, how do you talk about yourself in a way that's engaging and interesting and also authentic, right? Because at the end of the day, if you can't do that, you can't make connections with people. And then lastly, I, uh, I help my students design a social life that's congruent to their values because I'm under the belief that uh, mutual interest is the foundation of every great relationship. It's so much easier to spend time with other people who like the same things as you. So why not design a social life around your hobbies and interests so you can do what you love and meet people along the way. And that's basically it. You know, a lot of uh, students from all over the world have taken the program from India to Australia to the UK, uh, tech heavy cities in the US, like, you know, Seattle, San Francisco, um, different cities in California, and also Toronto and Vancouver and some in Calgary. And um, yeah, I do it all online and uh, the students uh, get amazing results. In fact, I've had five students get married already. I've been invited to my first Indian wedding and Chinese wedding. And uh, the work is really rewarding, you know, seeing people transform is one of the most beautiful things anyone can ever see. So let me ask you another question. Would you say that most of the people that are coming to you are looking for help with romantic relationships or with jobs or with just making friends or is it some combination of the above? It's all three in the hierarchy of friends first, romantic interests after, and then third one would be professionally related. But a lot of them, a lot of the students who take the program are lonely and they don't have any friends to spend time with. And that's a big pain point that they have. Yeah. So that loneliness is really the key part. I'm almost thinking this practically needs to be obligatory for everybody that goes to university because people go to a college or a university and they're very lonely, very isolated. They don't know how to reach out. And any of the circumstances that they choose are often really unhealthy and uh, doesn't, doesn't really get them to any kind of a place where they can have a healthy relationship with somebody. So, and, and I, I have done a number of workshops for APEGA, which is the Alberta Engineering Association. 
and that at, I was at the conference last year, and I was doing a piece on the soft skills you need to make a career transition. And it was packed. There were people like standing in the back. And I was like so surprised. I thought, this is an engineering conference. Why would they even think about coming to it? And so I asked one of the organizers, you know, like, why was my workshop so full? And she said, oh, the soft skills ones are always packed because people know the technical stuff already. And I thought, oh, yeah, that never occurred to me, but it's true, right? So she said, now we're offering more soft skills things that are at our association meetings than we are technical stuff because people can always learn the technical stuff or they have it already, totally. but the soft skills are not taught by anybody. So we have to bring it in. Well, if they need another speaker, let me know. <laughs> I'm going to recommend you to them. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so Mike, it's been really great. I just wanted to end with a couple of things. One is if you were going to be employed by somebody and you could say, listen, this is how you can work best with me. What would you tell them? Oh, that's a tough question because I don't know if I'll ever. <laughs> if I'll I know, ever... I know. It's a, it's a, it's like switching the tables a little bit because you would probably be playing others. But if, but to answer your question, the best way to communicate with me, the first thing that I appreciate with someone is when they they ask for, especially if it's a sensitive conversation, is to ask for permission first. It's like, hey, you know, like there's something that I want to talk about. It's you know, sensitive matter. Would you be open to have a conversation around it? So I think permission is number one. The second thing is explain to me like why this is important to you and how this makes you feel, right? And how this affects you. And if we have a relationship or a friendship, how this would improve the friendship. And then the third thing is to tell me like specific things that I've done that you feel like could be improved on or, you know, things that I did well, stuff like that. And then lastly is what's the call to action? What are we going to do to uh, resolve this issue? Or if it's like a compliment then you know, obviously keep doing it and stuff. But I think permission first be very clear about the overall picture and impact of this conversation, specific examples, and then like, what are we going to do next? Like, those are four things that I would require for someone to communicate effectively with me in a way that will make me pay attention and not tune out. I wish I had a prize for that answer. It's so oh. good. <laughs> you know, almost everybody has some kind of a platitude. They go, oh, well, you know, the best thing you need to do is be a good person and like stuff like that. It's just not the same. You were just like really specific with very useful things. That would be, if, if I wanted to ask you something, I would be, I would know exactly how to move forward with that. So it's so helpful. Exactly. I've told my girlfriend the same thing. I've told my friends the same thing. That's why I feel like my life is really simple. You know, like people communicate with me in a way that makes them feel safe because they know how to approach me and stuff. For the most part, I live a pretty drama-free life just because I tell people how I, I like to be communicated. And I also ask them how they would like to be communicated, you know, because everyone has their own preferences. And the best thing that I can tell everyone to help them improve their communication skills is to just be curious and ask, like never assume things, right? Because how you do one thing may be different than the other. And both of you maybe say, especially with words, you know, some people use words very uh, the same words and they have like different meanings around it so asking things like can you clarify that for me can you tell me more about that i feel like that'll prevent so many arguments in the future no kidding that's really helpful i think people would totally benefit from your course i'm going to uh, definitely be putting all of the links into the show notes so that people can find out more they can take your course and uh, i would love to promote it because i think it's such a necessary skill set for people to learn how to interact in a way and i also love the way you framed it really it's the way you said that when you're saying ask per, for permission to broach a topic. So that gives you a structure 
like you were talking about before. And if it's not a good time, then you would say, you know, this is not a good time for me to talk about that right now. But at this time, I could talk to you about it. And it gives you a chance to repair yourself emotionally so you don't feel bombarded. I imagine in your work, everybody would want to dump all their stuff on you all the time. It would be really hard to stay clear and stay so that you're not absorbing all that stuff unless you set up some kind of a structure that makes it safe for you and safe for them. So I really loved your answer. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. So into the show notes, I'll put all of the links. Is there anything you'd like to promote while you have the chance? The last thing that I would say is just for people to think about, right? Like, um, you know, like you are your best asset. You're the most, you're the common denominator in everything that you do. So, you know, like learn more about yourself, right? You know, turn off the TV, put your phone down, you know, and spend some time in silence. Cause I feel like a lot of people have the answers within them and they just have to take the time to listen, give themselves permission to acknowledge their thoughts instead of always distracting themselves with, you know, technology and social media. Right. And also, and yeah, invest in learning how to connect with people because in my opinion, once you have that ability, your life will be enhanced in so many different ways that you can ever imagine. Right. That's a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much, Mike. It was just a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me on your show and I hope your listeners got a ton of value. Of course they did. No doubt about that. <laughs> Thanks again. Mike Makapinlak has transformed shyness and lack of social confidence into a strength that wins him the trust of hundreds of men in technical industries, longing to overcome loneliness and fear of social interaction. His flourishing business shows how much his courses and coaching for social skill development are necessary in our world today. Talking to Mike, I would never have guessed that he had years of shyness to overcome. He is certainly a confident and poised business leader now. Yet in his thoughtful responses to structuring communications, so he and the other person can feel safe and free to express themselves, I really learned the importance of sensitivity to context and the nuances of emotional care, especially for those who are technically proficient. I'm sure you enjoyed this conversation with Mike Macapinlack, and I encourage you to check out his site, socialconfidencemastery.com. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, on our Work and Culture Facebook page, or send me an email about the episodes that personally touch you. Go to marie at shiftworkplace.com to send that message. Thanks for listening, and may cultural connections continue to broaden, deepen, and inspire your world.